Um, so we're going to take Sunday nights and seeing that it's spring and new season upon us, um, I'd like to maybe just start a series of Sunday night teachings. And that's really what Sunday nights are going to be. It's going to be like a service, but it's going to be teaching. And if we have, um, we also have the option of worship. But I'd like just to have this a time where we could, as like a team, you know, as a core, just talk about uh, some things that could really encourage us. And I thought maybe for this this coming springtime, we could have just a series on team building and leadership. And I think one of the things that we are doing here is, is that not only are we building an idea for what we want to do for the community and ministry, but we really want to build up our infrastructure and our team. And I think that... Um, this is a this is a great thing. I was looking today at the you know I was looking at today at how everybody was just functioning and and it was just so awesome because um, it's great just to see people you know taking things into their hands and running with things you know and that just shows ownership of vision and it just shows people feel that they have a, a part in what is happening here and that's just really awesome and I just want to. Also, just maybe talk a little bit about team building, and uh, secondly, too, uh, have a little a little discussion on the subject of leadership, and maybe that's down the line a little bit. So maybe for the next four or five, maybe even six Sunday nights, I'd like to do something about team building and um, just different things that I think um, churches face, and sometimes we see churches uh, fail right at the start off because um, just there are certain bases that are not covered. And I really look at what God's doing here, and I'm just so encouraged. You know, we have people, Jeff and Carol today just came to my wife and I and just said, you know, we just want to get involved. We're so excited. Um, You know, we'd like to just help with some things. And then... um, you know, I spoke with Oscar, and he and I said, Oscar, sorry, it's just not going to work Saturday mornings because we want to utilize our chapel on Saturdays. And so he says, but you know what? We're going to still come on Sundays. And I said, you know, maybe sometime in the future, maybe something will change. But, um, you know, I can talk more about that later. But, you know, and then we see, uh, you know, we just see people getting touched by God. And it's really just something that, uh, is something that God is doing, and I'm personally encouraged to see it. And and I think one of the things that we'd like to do with some of the ladies is just have time with the ladies, where the ladies get a chance to have uh, a couple meetings with with um, and just discuss things that ladies do can do in the church, and then maybe even men. I, I this afternoon I invited a pastor and his wife to come down from um, New York State, and Pastor Moore uh, and his wife, Cynthia. Maybe you know them, uh, Carl. But uh, I don't think we're related, but 
he does act just like an uncle that I have, identical. So I do think we're in some way related. But uh, he's pastoring, he's been pastoring a church that started off from a little group of high school um, colleagues and it just grew to, you know, a, a decent sized church. And so he's really seen a lot. And, and um, but I just want to um, take the next few weeks, and, and I, I mentioned this to Diana and I mentioned this to Ed, and they both mentioned to me that they'd like to, you know, get the notes and the links to the to these um, meetings so they can listen to it. So I am going to record these. And um, I'd like to look at this as just a, you know, how, how um, you have an Olympic team, right? And there's a lot of talent on a team, and there's a lot of potential and a lot of power. And that team, that team um, there are some things that uh, the team – prepares and they're training and they're getting ready for uh, full potential of output. And I think that that's kind of like what, how I see these times together, these Sunday nights, and we'll see what God does. So Ephesians chapter 4, let's just look at there, Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, you know, this is to, if you guys, if anyone has a question during the time, just because I'm standing at the pulpit, it doesn't mean you can't raise your hand and ask a question or jump in or something, okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, and I just want to talk about the principle of unity. And uh, of course, when a pastor says, I want to talk about unity, maybe people will think, well, why? What do we have? We don't have unity. And that's not the reason. I'm just talking about here unity that is really unstoppable by the devil. You know, the devil really fears unity, and that's really the first thing that the devil wants to attack in a church. And for a church to think that it will never get attacked in unity, then, then that really is being naive. And so um, we start here in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul here begins to talk about unity, and this is the classic chapter about unity. And he begins here with not telling the Ephesian church to be one, but he really begins with himself, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, and what he's saying here is he's saying beseech. And he's not saying that I'm telling you or I'm commanding you, but he says I'm pleading with you. And he's talking to the Ephesian church, which was a mature church. It was a church that had great teaching. Uh, it was one of the more mature churches that existed here. And we can see that from the content of the book. And so Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And so unity, this is where unity begins Unity in the world begins on common interests, common goals, common desires, common thinking, common commonness, whatever is common. And, uh, but Paul here begins with the subject of unity from his personal walk with God and the Ephesians' walk with God. And this is where unity always begins. Unity always begins with uh, our walking with God in in our personal life and in secret. And when we walk with God worthy of the calling, and just think of this amazing calling that we have. I mean, we've been 
We haven't been called by a president. We haven't been called by a political leader. We haven't been called by, you know, some club. But we've been called by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I mean, can you imagine that? We've been called by God. And not just us, but every other Christian that is naming the name of Christ today has a calling in their life. And I just think it's so awesome to think that, wow, we've got a calling. I am called by God. And there's a lot of questions and marks. What is that calling and how do I discover it? And, and I don't want to get into that tonight, but I can say this, is that, is that if I'm doing today what I'm, if I'm walking with God today and walking in the light today and walking, uh, confessing when I fail and just getting back up and going forward with God today and not worrying about tomorrow or what happened yesterday or, or next year, then I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be in the future. If I'm walking today with God, because there's no other more important day than, than, than we have than, than today. And so Paul starts here walk, talking about his walk with God and his calling, his personal walk with God. And so unity begins with a group of people each walking with God, having a personal relationship with God and developing that relationship, developing hearing from God in their personal life, hearing from God, listening to God about their calling and and waiting on God, because there's a lot of waiting, I think, that comes with discovering the call of God, waiting and listening and receiving from God. And then he says in verse 2, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering. And what Paul is talking about here is that while we are, while we are walking in the call of God, then there is a lot of, there is a lot of, um, brokenness that's being worked into our life with all loneliness and gentleness lowliness and gentleness you know that brokenness that God works into our life as we're discovering his plan and that's so important because unity can't be demanded from people maybe you could do that in a work environment or maybe you could do that with a football team you could say hey let's be one, but unity of heart and unity, the inner unity between people just doesn't happen without, without first this, our unity with God, our vertical with God. And then it says here in verse 2, bearing with one another in love. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, where, where I am, you are walking with God, I'm walking with God, and then there are moments where maybe we could detect the devils trying to attack our unity in with another member of the church or attack my unity with somebody else or you know or maybe we see a failure someone fail and then we are we are tempted to start to allow the devil which is the separator of brethren to come in with his perspective on things you know i love just this attitude and i've heard i've heard people here talk about it like we're just we don't we don't we don't think evil about people you know like uh uh i mean i you know something happens in the church something's maybe missing and we're not thinking like evil about people i love that because it's just you know we're not living thinking evil about things about people about, about people and this is really where bearing one another with one another in love we're not naive but at the same time we are living in what it says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And I'm just kind of going over the theological stuff, and then in a couple minutes I want to go through some real practical stuff. So, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that means really, this word endeavor, is really a strong word in the Greek. And what it really means is to, um, 
means to take care, to make haste, to do one's best. It speaks of determined effort. It has the idea of exertion. Uh, and that really kind of means to um, make speed or to be to endeavor. I mean, have you ever, you know what it means to endeavor, right? It means a, a, a on-purpose daily endeavoring. And I, I think that one of the greatest things that the devil wants to attack in a church, and especially in, I think, in any church and also in our church, is really unity, where, where we think in discernment that, wow, you know, we have an enemy, a common enemy, and that's the devil, that's the atmosphere. You know, the devil does not like that there's a team forming here. You know, the devil doesn't like that. You know, the devil doesn't like that, we're, that we have a vision. And the devil doesn't like that. The devil doesn't like that you have a vision for your life and that you're taking steps forward in your life and in your personal life and in your family life. The devil doesn't like that you're taking headship in your family. You know, we're not perfect, but the devil's going to attack that. And, you know, we want to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. And, you know, the unity of the Spirit is first it's positional and then it's something that we experience. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But unity here is the unanimity or the agreement. And it's the it's something that the Holy Spirit produces. And this is something that you can't mandate unity in a church. I mean, you can say, hey, let's be one. Come on, let's be one. And everybody say, yeah, let's all be one. And then everybody, you know, in their, the energy of their flesh is trying to be one. And then finally they run into this brick wall where they can no longer in their flesh be one. I mean, we know how that is, don't we? And so what will happen is, is that, is that, Though the devil wants to attack this, if it's something that the Holy Spirit produces, then it can't be broken and it can't be, the devil cannot be, cannot be successful. Um, and we know this, this next point from, from, this, the, uh, from the world of sports. A collection of individuals does not make a team simply by putting, them, putting on them the same uniforms. You know, sometimes I look at a, a team and, I wonder, you know, there's a lot of potential on the team, but, you know, sometimes it's the coach that really can't pull the team together. Or just because an organization or a foot or a team has great potential and great leaders and people that have great, uh, great um, talent, it doesn't mean that they are a, a one team. Um, what Paul is talking about here is spiritual union, a union between God and his people and between Christ and his members and between saints and saints. And the bond of each union is love. And that is which knits and cements us together. It's the last of these, which is here intended, intended that what really makes people one is just a deep love, a deep care and a deep concern. And that bonding really happens when people go through trials together. You know, as time goes on and we go through more experiences and have more fun stories and crazy stories to tell, that's going to knit us together as a team. And going through things together and seeing each other in their greatest and in their worst, those times when we, when we stick it out, then God begins to bond us together in an experiential way. We're one. We're already one in Christ. I mean, there's no difference between... You know, we are one already. And anyone that knows, that names the name of Jesus Christ and that is submitted to the word of God and loves God, there's a 
positional unit, there's a positional oneness there. It's like a family. Like, you know, we are, we have the same last name, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's an experiential unity. And that really is nothing new, but this unity um, really has to be something that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit, bonding people together. Uh, many organizations suffer because they have people in leadership positions that have never crystallized, have never been crystallized in a compelling vision, meaning that it's possible that someone could create a big organization. I think that there could be some mega churches today that are in this situation where you have a lot of you have a lot of money, a lot of property, maybe even a lot of people, but you have leaders that are not really baptized together in one vision behind one thing. And you can see that happen because you can see sometimes and you know, church members are not, we're not, you know, we're not dumb. We can see when leaders are kind of not working together well. They, you can see them, you know, uh, you can see sometimes sparks fly. And, and that is because, really, they, they may not have been truly baptized in the vision of, of what God wants to do. And I wanted to just mention four things here that um, is really a vision that I have for our church. And it's not something that I want to do or some kind of new program, but it really it's an internal vision. And I think that uh, understanding this and having this in the forefront of our minds as a church, this really will, uh, this will help us. And I think it's good that we keep this, that we repeat this to ourselves. Like, number one, um, when we as a team understand the vision and what really is the vision of our church. And, and that really may be, uh, I don't know. I mean, there, it could be that there are some people that come to our services and they don't know what our vision is. Uh, it could be that, you know, well, the word says community church, but what are they, you know, our vision first is number one, that people would know Christ. Like when I think as a pastor and up here, when I prepare a message or when I pray and I think about, you guys, every day, literally, every day I think about your faces and I pray. And when I think about what I would like to see happen is that I would like people to know Christ. You know, I drive down here, you know, go to Jiffy Lube or Dunkin' Donuts or I go to Home Depot. Or, you know, I look at people and I see them in their cars and I see them going to work and I see teenagers walking down the street. You know what my great passion is? That they would know Christ, like that we know Christ. Like that's what we want, right? Like, that's what we want for our family. You know, we talk to family members, and in the behind our conversation, there is this desire, I wish you would know Christ like I do, and to the measure that I, I would like you to taste God and see how good He is. And that really is like an underlying deep vision that I have, and that all we do, our Sunday school, our worship, uh, whatever we do here, you know, our in our little way that, you know, in the, in the little way that we have it now, I, I just want that always to be our underlying vision that people would know Christ. Not me, not Chris Moore or, or, or with some great program that we're doing, but that they would first know Christ. And number two, his salvation. We want, I want, you know, this is like a, this is like a huge thing that really is in my heart when I pray that people would get saved, that people would come to our church and that there would never be a situation with someone who would come to our church and not hear the gospel. You know, like, we want people to know his salvation. And then if they're saved, then I want them to get to know the finished work 
of Christ and of the grace of God and to experience transformation in their life. That's my, that's, that's my great desire. Like people that come here, our desire, you know, when we are doing the bulletins or going picking up the bulletins or whenever we're cooking back there and, you know, shoveling or whatever we do, that like our desire is that people would come through those doors and just experience the, the, the finished work transformation of God, that people would discover how God can change them. And that's really what the first main point, like if I was to say, what is your mission statement? I would say this right here, that people would know Christ, his salvation, his finished work of grace, and be transformed. That is really our mission statement. That's really what we want to see happen in people's lives. Uh, and so this is the first step of unity. This is how really in a practical way we begin to experience unity. First, we are walking in the light. Like in 1 John 1, 7, 8, and 9 says this, that if you walk in the light and I walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, right? And I know some, I know some denominations are pretty strict about not talking to other denominations, but I think if somebody's walking in the light, right, and they have Jesus Christ as their Savior, then I can have fellowship with that person, you know? And maybe I don't agree with some of their secondary doctrines, but and maybe that's okay. Maybe they're supposed to, that's what they do and that's what they believe, but um, that's where unity becomes between people in a marriage or in a relationship or, you know, two people walking with God. And if there are two people that have a difficult time with each other, then first thing I need to do is, is not try to work my relationship with, out with that person, but go to God and say, God, okay, lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Go to God and get grace from God and get, get all that, whatever you call it, that, that buffer zone of grace and, and ability and faith before I, before I approach a, a personality conflict. Uh, so many, so many churches have started off well, but they break down because of just personality conflicts. So that's the first thing, understand the vision. And that's really what our vision is, is that people would know Christ and know his salvation and know his grace, whether it's whatever, how many people God brings to this church. Number two, the second thing that really compacts us together in unity as a team is when each one of us take ownership of the vision. And what does that mean? It just means what is God's personal place for you in this church? And what is the vision for? And it could be something small, and it could be great, and it could be something that God reveals over time. But taking ownership of the vi vision, and that means like, and I think that really is, this is where I think that I can see happening here is that, you know, people coming forward and saying, you know, I want to get involved in a small or a great way. Taking ownership, meaning that this is my church, this is where I go to church, and this is, you know, this is where I come and get built up, and I'm part of this. This is my church family. And taking ownership of the vision, meaning that I like, to, I like this illustration. I don't know where it came from, but I like this illustration that, um, you know, taking ownership of something means that when I, uh, when I walk into the room and I see trash on the floor, you know, maybe I don't own the building, but I pick it up because this is my floor. It's like my living room, right? 
That's the way we all feel about the place anyway. But taking ownership of the vision, meaning, meaning, hey, look, we want to do an outreach or something. Okay, great. This is not only Pastor Chris's vision or the leadership's vision, but this is my personal vision too. Like, I have a vision for this neighborhood. And maybe you're someone who is not a pastor or a leader, but you just have a burden on your heart with a track or with just a message to go and talk to somebody across the street. That's when your walk with God has has um, come to a place where it's beginning to affect your ownership of the vision. And a business can't do that. You know, a business, you know, you can't, you can, you can pay somebody to do eight hours of work, but when, when their time comes, when it hits whatever five o'clock or whatever time it is, the time is, they're out of there. You know, they don't care if something's not done. And I mean, if their time's up, their time's up. But when we take ownership of the vision, then the Holy Spirit has given us a personal vision about what my place is, you know, in the church. Uh, number three, and it's kind of similar to the second thing, but con- con- contributing to the vision. And what that means is, is that no, not only do I understand my place, but now I'm going to contribute to the vision. And, um, and that may take time. That may take God tweaking us and doing, doing things. As, but, you know, just jumping right in. And I love that's the way Peter was. Peter just jumped right in with Christ and was so interactive in what Jesus was doing. And this is how we contribute in prayer and communication. We take steps of faith and we make a commitment to share our portion in the vision. And I think that's so important because where else in the world... Can we get people to do what they do without without paying them? You know, it's like it's like that's one of the biggest questions that people ask us. Is like how how do you guys do what you're doing without having a payroll? And I just think that's just the way the church works. And maybe someday there will be payrolls. I don't know. You know, that would be awesome if we could do that. But having a personal commitment, like I live with a commitment, being accountable to God and to people. You know, and this is this is when the ownership of the vision has gone gone deep into my heart, and I begin to contribute. Like, and I actually begin to have a vision for people. Like, you know, with the Sunday school, seeing kids. You know, like, like I'm sure that Christine and Sarah. You know, they look at the kids and and they think, you know, I'm accountable to these kids. I I have to show up on Sunday. You know, these kids are going to show up and. And I have, you know, I have it in my heart, a love for these kids. And we were saying today at the table after, after service that if I'm not, if, if I'm doing something because I'm expected to do that, that can only last for a certain amount of time, con- contributing to the vision because it's inside. You know, when we contribute, when we're at that point where we are contributing, it looks like it basically begins to look like a bunch of puzzle pieces that begin to fit together with each other. They're complementing each other, you know. One portion is doing what they do, and then that fits in. That kind of dovetails into what this other person is doing, and it's like a puzzle. And when the puzzle's put together, who do we see? Who do we see? Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ. We don't see the face. What's the face of a church? Hopefully it's not me or anybody. It's Jesus Christ. And and then number four, this is a big one, and this is very big, this is very important, passing on the vision. 
And I, I think that whatever we do, eventually, sooner or later, I want to get someone working next to me so that I can disciple them in this. And even if it's something very simple, just say, look, this is how we do this. This is the way I think about doing this. I remember uh, in Bible college, I was given the task to um, clean floors all night. And I was part of an all-night crew that would clean. And, you know, it was not easy. I mean, you guys know what it's like to work all-night cleaning with chemicals and crazy stuff that, you know, stuff that is very corrosive. And But I had the guy, when I came on board, the, the guy that was leading the team said, you know, he said, I like to look at what I'm doing like what the Levites did. They were cleaning the temple. They were cleaning the tabernacle. And they had this, they didn't have a portion in the promised land. They didn't have the riches from the, their portion was the tabernacle. And that was their privilege to clean the tabernacle. And I thought, wow, what a way to look at my job. Like, you know, I'm not just cleaning the floors in the church or in the, in the, in the Bible school. I'm, I'm actually like a Levite in one way, just like cleaning the house of the Lord and the property. Of, and I just thought this is, and it really changed my mindset about what I was doing. It made it a very sacred thing. And what this guy did was is he took an 18, my, me, 18 years old, who was just some kid out of high school that really didn't have a great work ethic yet, and said, look, this is a sacred thing, and this is the way you got to think about it when you do it. And you know what that did? That transformed my way of thinking about menial labor. He passed on the vision. And I think that that's, whether it's Sunday school or whether it's whether it's the way I run, run the service or if it's the way that we do details in the church, God will teach you as you do it. God will speak to you about what you're doing. And he'll say, this is sacred. This is important. This, is, this means a lot. This is, this is something easily passed over by the world, but it's very important. And that will, that will be put into your heart by the Holy Spirit and then the day will come when you'll be able to communicate that to somebody else and say, you know what, this is sacred. You know, like we're, we're, we're cooking in the back, we're, we're serving the body, and this is a sacred thing. Leading worship, that's a sacred thing. And we want to be thinking in the back of our minds, how can I get the other people in the church involved? Like how can I get them to be engaged? Like some, maybe a new person could comes in and maybe I have that opportunity to share with them or to call them up. If they say, hey, give me a call if you ever need help. That's God saying to you, disciple this person. If somebody says that to me, hey, give me a call if you ever need any help. That's a cue to me from the Holy Spirit that I'm supposed to go after that person and just encourage them and help them discover their place. And so those are four things about unity, how the process of of unity happens and its results. So there are uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to look at this together with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know. Um, verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so we see three M's here, three words that begin with M that could describe uh, unity. And number one, Paul, in this verse, number one, Paul is talking about one mind, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Having one mind, 
You know, it's a beautiful thing when, you know, when someone goes to someone in the church and asks them a question and then goes to another person and asks them the same question and they get the same answer, not having talked to each to another person. That's oneness of minds, you know, oneness of minds. And instead of the opposite of just duality of mind where I'm thinking one thing about someone and then thinking something else about someone else. I just have one thought about about God's people and God's work. Just one thought. And I don't let any other thoughts in there. I just cast them down because because how does a church how does a church fall apart? How does a team fall apart? How does a staff fall apart? First by me being separated with my communion with God. That's number one. So I'm no longer one with God in my thinking. And when that happens, then I'm not thinking with God about other people and about God's plan in my life and about my 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 work or my family or my or my um, or my ministry. And so that's what happens. Having one mind, just one mind. And when we fail in that, we rebound. And that one mind really is a process of thinking where we're all thinking in the love of God. You know, like for example. You know, sometimes when we have prayer and someone just shares a prayer request, like we're all, I can see it on, our, on, your, on the faces of people, like that there is this oneness of um, brokenness for that person. You know, we're all responding in the same way because there's one mind about that person. There's one mind that, of the spirit and the one, one emotion about the way God loves that person in their, in their trouble. The second M that we see here is one message and that is here that second part of the verse that you all speak the same thing why is this important one message because you know our church is a grace-based finished work bible teaching church that really lives with that as our message and i think there are other christians out there that may really have and sometimes a different a different message, more of a message on works or a message on moral behavior or a message on maybe more psychological or emotional message. But really the message of our church here is just grace and the finished work. That it's finished. That it's all finished. And that's really where it all begins and that because it's finished we can we are qualified to serve God. And other than that, nobody else is qualified to serve God because it is finished. And I think that, that uh, the devil not only will try to attack the unity, but he'll also try to change the message. Because, you know, that's not a super popular message. We would think it would be, but it's not necessarily a super popular message because people in the world want to hear a program. They want to, sit, they want to hear, give me something to do, tell me how to change myself, and they would respond better to that. And... So one message really Paul's talking about here is that really that message of grace, that gospel, the good news. And then the third M is um, one mission. And, and really where I get that is, is when it says having the same mind and the same judgment, the word there, judgment, really means to have the same conclusion about what we're doing. Like this is the, our judgment, our judgment or our perception about what we do in our church is really... What do you do as a church? Well, we, we, we reach the lost. We reach out to people on an individual level and on a corporate level, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a team level. And so um, 
just to the last thing here I want to talk about is really the value of unity and and um, I think we can all understand the value of unity. See, you know, when you when you have um, people that come into a church that are already maybe saved or born again, uh, you don't know necessarily what their backgrounds are in teaching and what their experience is. Sometimes people come in to a church and they had a very bad experience with the last pastor or the last pastor's wife. And that's the way they interpret the pastor. They look at the pastor. And sometimes I can see it, you know, people come in and, and uh, you know, one person um, joked with me a little bit, and then they got really embarrassed, and they sh- they did just they were ashamed, and they apologized. And I said, "Well, that you know, I understood that we, you know you're you know wasn't disrespectful, and but in some you know some people may have, in being themselves, may have, um, in a jokingly way, joked with." another pastor, and they got really angry because they got insecure or something, and they really blasted the person. I don't know. Uh, but the sometimes you have people that come in with different um, thinking, well, the pastor wants this from me, or, you know, or this is the way it was in the last church. And, and so it's almost like, it's almost like someone getting divorced and going into another marriage, bringing all of those concepts with them into that new marriage. It can really mess up the relationship. And so what will happen sometimes is folks will come in and maybe they have comment, they have these concepts that like, wow, you know, this is what the pastor expects from me. And and that could really interrupt the unity. What we really want people to first do is really get their vertical with God just really straight and get healthy and um, and not necessarily feel like that. You know what? You better get to work. You better pull your load or you're out of here. <laughs> That's not the way we do things here, you know? I heard someone say, don't ask what your church can do for you. Uh, ask what you can do for your church. I mean, well, there's some measure of truth to that, but it's not It's not the base. That's not the base of what we do here, and that's not the base of what Jesus did with his disciples. And so... Unity really is the glue that holds the team together, in part by reducing competitiveness among its players. There's no competition. You know, it's like no competition. When you and I are secure in the Lord and we know who we are in Christ, we're not insecure about, oh, you know what, they're doing a better job. Maybe they're going to be asked to do that because I'm not doing such a great job. That's just competition, and we never have to get insecure about that because we know who we are. You know, maybe at the workplace, like if you're not doing so good, you know, you can feel it. You ever feel like your job's in jeopardy? <laughs> maybe you feel like you're not doing such a great job. I remember as a dishwasher in Bible college, I was reading the newspaper, reading the classifieds, and I saw my job, you know, being advertised. Dishwasher needed. And there's only room for one dishwasher there. And that was me, you know. And I took the thing to the I took my I took the ad to the boss and I said, you know, what is this? You know, or Am I going to get fired? And, you know, that doesn't produce a lot of security when you see people functioning like that. But that, in the church, we never have to worry about who we are in Christ because who we are in Christ is eternal, and that can never change. And, um, and so there's never, we never need to have this sense of, like, competing this or, like, you know, i got to do a better job than that person or she sings better than I do or he does a better job at, in you know, in presentation than I do. And it's like, it's all self-consciousness and it's not God-consciousness. And 
when that happens, when we feel insecure, we need to go to God and just get filled with the Spirit and just get filled with His love and understand that I'm called and that I'm a member in particular, unique in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So when people share a common mission, they have a mindset of completing each other instead of competing against each other. You know, when we have the mindset of Christ, and we're, it's not like I'm trying to compete with other people. I'm here to complete, you know. Uh, I'm here to make sure that the other guy succeeds, you know. And if he gets the spotlight and I don't, then that's fine. It's all right with me because that's not what I'm after. You know, I, I just want, I want, I want to see that person because if they succeed, then I succeed. Okay, and that's competition, really. When you get egos that are not crucified, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in this situation in a religious setting, in a setting or in a Christian setting. You know, when you get egos that are not brought to the cross. What can happen is, is that you, people can become very competitive and comparing themselves with each other. And, and people all day and all night think about this. They're like, why did, the, why did that, they get asked to do that and I didn't? And then there's this big psychological storm in their mind and they run to the, the leader or the pastor or whoever is running the, you know, that team or whatever. And they say, you know, like, why did... I know why you did that because they're better and you, you know, and we have all, and whenever you, I don't know if you've ever had those kind of conversations, but it's very confusing and, uh, and it's just very subjective. And so we're here to complete each other because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, you think the works I'm doing are great. You're going to do greater works. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples, you know, and like my, my, like my greatest joy would be if, if like we saw God raise somebody up that, you know, I disciple or you disciple, and they, God raises them up, and they just, God uses them in a huge, might, mighty way, way bigger than any of us. That would be like, we'd be all like, yay, God, because it's not about us, you know? It's not about me and, you know, me shining, but it's really about people seeing, guys, I think if you're a parent and you see your kids shine and do great, don't you, isn't that amazing? Like, it's just amazing, isn't it? Like, that's what, and then you as a dad or a mom, you feel like, you feel like yourself being honored because that's the way it is with unity. And so, in addition, unity to the vision increases accountability among the team. So, unity to the vision increases accountability, meaning like that, look, you know, we have a, a vision for example, like to see something, you know, to, uh, let's just say, yeah, to like do the two Sunday school rooms upstairs. We have that, that's part of our vision. And when we share that vision, iron sharpens iron. Like, you know, maybe one of us gets a little bit like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know. And maybe even the pastor could get like, you know, I don't know if that's going to ever happen. And then somebody in the church is like, hey, we're one in this vision. It's going to happen. God's going to do it. You know, God's faithful. Remember all the times when God came through and then that accountability sharpens us, doesn't it? Like when we're one in the vision. And and that's all that's always awesome when that's always awesome when God uses a, someone in the church to uh challenge the pastor in the vision. <laughs> it's always awesome to feel that because you see that God is doing it. And so just want to wrap this up with this, that 
when it when a team is passionate about bringing its vision to fruition, its members know immediately when one of us gets off track. A, a healthy team confronts and encourages people um, to help them discover God's potential. And you know, that's what we do. We're a team. And when one of us gets a little slack, then we just encourage each other. And maybe we don't even know we're doing that, but we're just, hey, if you show up, if you just show up, everybody's going to be encouraged. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, this is the biggest thing that, this is one of the biggest things the devil tries to do with people is that to try to make them to think that, you know what, my part, my portion is not important. I'm not important. And if I don't show up or if I'm not there or if I don't, if I don't, if I don't come by faith, then I'm not going to be missed. It, it, that's really, it's not really like a, a big lie, isn't it? I just think that that when we, uh, you know, when we get together, come together, and someone is missing, then then it is like, you know, we do miss them, right? And when someone is there, we're like, wow, thank God for this person. Even if it's if they, the only thing they're doing is mopping the floor. I mean, praise the Lord that they are there, and, and so. The value of unity is is when, is when, we are glued together by the Holy Spirit, and we're just working together. I don't know how many of you ever saw that movie back in the day. Um, this my wife and I love it. It's from like the early '90s. It was called uh, it's about the Jamaican bobsled team. Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. Did you ever see that? About these. Okay, you didn't see that. Bunch of Jamaican guys uh, get a get a vision to uh, you know enter the Olympics to represent their their country Jamaica in uh, winter bobsledding. I mean they don't have any snow in Jamaica, and yet these these five guys are all really goofy guys, just you know reggae, just you know interesting guys, and they're and they're pulling them they're pulling themselves together, encouraging each other. One of them, the head of the team, was the, was the uh, was the fastest runner for Jamaica. And this is actually a true story. And they pull it together. And you know what? They didn't win. <laughs> they didn't win. They didn't win the Olympics. But uh, because of some jealousy of how well they were doing and how how strong their team was, they uh, they they there were other teams that actually um, sabotaged their sled. And so they 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 didn't they didn't win. And at the end of the the movie ends with them losing. But and their and their bobsled falling apart into pieces in the middle of the track, and they pick up their bobsled and they they all walk it across the finish line, and everybody's cheering, and that was like the star of the whole, of the whole thing. What was the what was the, what was the moral or the or the the point of the movie was that it doesn't matter if, you know, these guys win or not. It just me- matters that they together as a team finish the race, and 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 you could see like the. The, the workings, and there's no swearing or any suggestiveness that I know of in the movie, maybe because I haven't seen it for a long time. But you can see them jostling, working, to, you know, sometimes in, in disagreement and then coming together because of the, of the vision and what they were doing and the pride of representing their country. And then at the end, they fail, <laughs> a miserable failure. <laughs> but what do they do? They walk across 
the finish line with this piece of junk on their <laughs> shoulders, which is the the bobsled, and they and they and they and they're you know they they are the stars of the of the race. And so, really, in a lot of ways, that's the power of unity is when whether we lose or we win, we we are crossing that finish line together as a team. And uh, uh, and I, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of religious organizations that don't have any unity, and they just can't get things done, and they fall apart because it's all egos, people's egos that just have not been delivered over to the cross. So, I just wanted to share those things. Does anybody have any comments or questions? Any any thoughts about anything that was shared tonight? Anything? Any questions or anything that you'd like to add or? Hopefully not subtract. Anything?